Hello, this is Matt Marone, the worship pastor here at Glen Owen Bible Church. You're listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we're going to answer listener questions from Sunday, February 19, 2023. Hey, everybody. I'm John Vanderveld. I'm the executive pastor here at Glen Owen Bible Church. Hi, I'm Simone Halpin, the executive director of Naomi's House. And I'm Kelly Brady. I serve as senior pastor here at Glen Owen Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to the Next Level Podcast. Good morning. Doom, Good morning. Doom, doom. Good morning. It's been a couple weeks. Yeah. We, Welcome back, everyone. It's good to be back. Did y'all enjoy class? For the listeners that might not know, Simone and John are in doctoral programs, and they were in class all last week. Was it good? It was great. What was the topic? Sexuality, spirituality, and gender. Was, was it the title in, of the class. Was it an engaging experience? Yes, it was an engaging seminar. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I know that I'm... I'm leading you on here. I yeah. know that your professor Yarhouse is a global leader on yeah. the topic in from an evangelical mm-hmm. perspective and what a privilege to mm-hmm. learn from him and mm-hmm. yep. he was great. We also had Amy Peeler teach and Ray Ortland teach. I love Ray Ortland. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> Got a good uh wide variety. It was a lot. A lot of content. How many books? Nine, like like three thousand three thousand pages? Yeah. yeah, something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think a good sign is that what both John and I and the rest of the class left with a list of books to continue reading because whether it was on the topic or not, just because there were so many good recommendations. And the very first book I'm reading since the class is still on the topic of, um, well, it's on the topic of marriage, but it's a mixed orientation marriage. Hmm. And it's so good. I was listening to this morning. I cannot put it down. So for those that might not know, mixed orientation means that one or both members have same-sex attraction but they, they in Have submission to, to God's yeah. will, um, Have a heterosexual marriage. go into a heterosexual marriage. And I've known a couple people like that. Mm-hmm. Have, so it's a powerful yeah. demonstration of obedience. And Yeah, I'll finish the book, and then I'll tell you if I recommend it. But so far, <laughs> it's really good. That's awesome. Yeah. Good. Well, welcome back. And Matt, you look tan. Oh, I was revived. I would have liked to have gone to Asbury, but I was revived by the Florida sun. <laughs> it was nice. We had a good um, good break, good vacation, very relaxing. Our yeah. kids are at the age now where it can be relaxing. Yeah. Not fully relaxing, but enough relaxing. relaxing. It's awesome. That you come back and you feel like, okay, let's go. That's fun. So, yeah. Yay. Yeah, that was our first winter vacation. So awesome. that was that was good. Wait, I, you I, go to Florida? We we go later. We okay. go in the spring so this or is summer. Early. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've never gone. It's kind of nice. I feel like we've cheated winter a little bit. It's <laughs> great. <laughs> so, all right. Um, yeah, I felt like service yesterday was great. Um, mm-hmm. Let's powerful singing, good message. Let's get into to some questions. Yep. First up, you highlighted how Paul used the Old Testament to show that Jesus was the Messiah. What are some ways that we can better recognize the person of Jesus as we read or study the Old Testament ourselves? Yeah, I love the notion and and think that as evangelicals, we need to be really challenged to be um, able to present the gospel from the Old Testament, um, because for several centuries, that was the reality of followers of Jesus. They used the Old Testament. And so I would just outline um, a couple passages, and there are certainly lots, but... um, as early as Genesis 3, people refer to what is called the Proto-Evangelion, the initial or early um, 
good news. And it's um, Genesis 3, and I think it's verse 15, where God is is handing out curses, uh, frankly. And he talks about, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. Now, he's talking to the serpent and talking about how the serpent's going to be cursed and have to um, crawl on his belly. Uh, He will crush your head. The offspring of the woman will crush your head. You will strike his heel. And many people see that as um, a reference to the work of Christ in the world, uh, crushing the serpent and the deceiver, as it were, and then um, the the attacking that the evil one does against the Messiah, he will strike, you will strike his heel. So as early as Genesis 3, just three chapters into the Bible, many see an allusion to a reference to the good news coming ahead. And then Psalm 2, uh, if you're looking, so, you know, Genesis 3 is in the Torah, the first five books, it's part of the law. And then if you're looking for a poetic, a, a song, a lyrical reference to the Messiah, reads the second Psalm, many people uh, it is a messianic psalm. In the psalm, in the seventh verse, we're told to kiss the son, S-O-N, kiss the son. And it's talking about the need to submit to God's son. And then Daniel, there's um, a reference to uh, the son of man coming. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. And, and Daniel says, before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds. And so Daniel has this vision of God sending one in the likeness of humanity from heaven. Um, and this, this man is able to approach the ancient of days and come into God's presence in a way that the rest of humanity can't. And then, of course, Isaiah 53 We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so Isaiah 53 is a classic example of um, the suffering servant, which Christ was on our behalf. And then Zechariah 9, your king comes to you lowly and riding on a donkey. And of course, earliest believers would say, do you remember uh, the entry of Christ into Jerusalem, the week of his crucifixion, how he entered as a great king, yet lowly and riding on a donkey. And so those are just some uh, references, but I do think we need to be well-versed in this respect, ready to go. Have y'all spent much time thinking about it? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, these guys weren't carrying around the pocket, their pocket guide of the Old Testament, no. so... Likely they didn't have a scroll, even in some of these far-out synagogues. They may have had some portion of a scroll. Yeah, Paul had much of the Torah, if not all of it, committed to memory. Yeah, if he was a Pharisee, yep. probably went through rabbinical school as a little boy, mm-hmm. memorized the Torah. <clears throat> so a lot of this is just coming from what he knows. Yep. I think for a modern evangelical, it's a part of the story, but I don't always... N- because we have the rest of Scripture and we know the story, often it's power. I think it's powerful to you can share who Christ is, what He's done, what He's freed us from, and then talk about His um, fulfillment of prophecy, right? And that even from the beginning, the first book of the Bible talks about mm-hmm. that He was going to come. I don't interact with a whole lot of people that only know the Old Testament, aren't right, familiar right. with yeah. the story of Christ maybe in a, in a highly Jewish context. Mm-hmm. Um, even then, though, they're likely to have known 
who Christ is, but I do think you're right. I think it it paints the fullest picture of the, who the Messiah is and what he has done for us when we can connect Genesis all the way through, right? Yeah, Job famously said, you know, the suffering, um, sir, the sufferer, Job, the man that was uh, allowed uh, to suffer by God, he said, I know my Redeemer lives. Mm-hmm. I know that God will care for me was his point, that there is redemption um, through God. Yeah. So this, it's just all over the Old Testament. And I, I, I think you're right. There's, in our context, there aren't many people who are saying, all I know is the Old Testament. Can you prove it from the Old Testament? Right, it's, right. it's unique. But uh, it definitely, it biblical definitely, literacy. Yeah, is, sure. It would be good if we knew our Old Testament better. It would round out our faith. It, all right, let's go to the next one. I love what you said about some non-Christians having better character than some Christians. I've struggled with this and feel Christians aren't willing to admit we lack character sometimes. Why don't we more often talk about this reality? It would help the gospel's proliferation. <laughs> what did you all think of that comment? For, it was interesting. First service got a snicker. Second service was really quiet. Like There was I, awkward I some, laughter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean... <laughs> I heard a response. I feel like people okay. agreed. It's part of the reason, you know, revival's needed is that we lack character in some respect. Yeah. Read a great piece this morning. I'm, I don't even know it comes from a news service. You know, they serve it up into your email inbox. And it was the story of one person at Asbury. And she said, uh, I've been attending Asbury. I needed to get a degree. Let's be honest. That's kind of her take. Um, but um, my se- I think it was senior year in high school, my my grandmother died, and I watched her suffer with cancer and slowly lost my faith as she lost her life. Hmm. And so this young woman is a senior at Asbury, and the revival has renewed her confidence in God's goodness. Hmm. And, awesome. and I, 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 th- I think that type of story that reminds us of we, all kind, we can all lose our way, we can cultivate, we can get entangled in sin, our character can actually degrade. Not, not all of us are getting, um, growing to be a better version of ourselves <laughs> today than we were yesterday. We're all not making progress with regard to our character. Some people are actually sliding backwards, they're in a bad spot. And I do think Christians need to, we need to be honest about that. It's, it's at the heart of the gospel. <clears throat> For me, I, when I heard you st- say and then I was reflecting on the the question a little bit um, makes me think that the fact that non-Christians and Christians can have at least the same moral character and even perhaps non-Christians having better moral character that it really doesn't make sense to try to convince people on moral and Mm -hmm. character grounds Mm -hmm. to follow Jesus live less sinful be nicer, vote this way, yeah. do this thing, wh- whatever it is, on the moral issues in our community, right? right? Because everybody can have the nice same morals and be completely absent of the gospel. Yeah, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Right. <laughs> so it's good to have good character, and he, it's awesome God, to be moral. Yes. God would rather we be moral than immoral. Right, but let's not fool ourselves that moral people doing great moral things and having great character in our community 
is all that's needed. Still yeah. completely bankrupt. Right. In right. terms Without of Christ. the gospel. It's not saving. Right. So, uh, you know, we learned, we, somebody in our class said this week, uh, you got one swing at it sometimes. Mm-hmm. Let's be swinging with the gospel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, not versus, behavior modification. Versus no. behavior modification or morality or character. If we're going to, to take a swing, stand up and proclaim something, say something, let's say the gospel, (laughs) which was really convicting (laughs) to me personally. Yeah. I appreciate how the person who sent this question says that they struggle with this and feel that Christians aren't willing to admit we lack character sometimes because I read that. I'm like, yeah, those dumb Christians. (laughs) And then immediately I'm always reminded to remove the plank from my own eye before I point out the speck in someone else's. And I'm not, I'm not calling this person to say they're being judgy or, or anything, but I, I know that when I struggle with this and I see the lack of character in other Christians, it, it makes me feel good sometimes to point that out or to feel frustrated or if they would just get their act together, Christians would have a better reputation. And maybe there are times where it is appropriate to, especially if you're close to the person to be able to point out things that you're seeing in their lives that you want to encourage them to consider. But for the most part, if we just took that same energy and focused on our own selves and, and growing in the image of Christ ourselves, I feel like, I feel like we'd probably make some headway as opposed to always, not always, but feeling frustrated with other people mm-hmm. and their lack of character. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just remove that, that big old yeah. plank in your own eye and see where that gets you. I, do, I think <laughs> the question asker is spot on. I do think it would help the gospel's proliferation if we were more honest on a daily, weekly basis about our lack of character, if there was more discussion about how we need to grow, if there was more, and not just generic growth, but really uh, I need to tell the truth more thoroughly is one way to say I need to lie less. But I, you know, we need to, we need to be more transparent. I do, because it's, um, someone came up to me after first service and they'd actually been in prison. And um, were baptized here as a part of their testimony. And this person was baptized with an anklet on a couple of years ago and said that, um, you know, going to prison really strips away all facade. At that point, you really have an opportunity to be blatantly honest and to cultivate some honesty mm-hmm. in your life. And um, this person seemed to really have made the most of their prison experience and, and embrace the opportunity to be honest. So I, I do think it would help. I think people would see the value of the gospel more clearly if the church were more transparent about our lack of character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if you have the Holy Spirit living in you, yes, the Holy Spirit should be acting and convicting and pointing things out if you are listening and if you are you know, walking closely with the Lord, right? Um, it's easier to hear the Holy Spirit. But like, if you're just looking for reasons why this is true, I'll, I'll give you a few. Like, some people have terrible parents. Some people have awesome parents. Mm. Some people were invested in at a young age about how to act and how not to act and to, to care, you know, not to care so much about what people think about them and not to, mm. and some people were brought up that way. Christians are not. They yeah. just had healthier homes they had healthier homes like you know and then that's why when you do convert to christianity when you do have the holy spirit that's why it's not just a a turn of the page and now you're right (laughs) now you're all good like you still have a lifetime of things to rework and 
and reorient and you know, Re- renew and, your mind and totally. new habits. Yeah. Yeah. So man, I mean, yeah, some people, sometimes, uh, I, I think that we come to the cross, there's a moment and it's appropriate to have that moment where we come to the cross, we confess our sins. It's a moment at the cross and we see our need and we are converted. We need to stay at the cross. We need to, that needs to be a daily experience of embracing our sin. And I was reading Psalm 67 this morning and the psalmist is talking about the need for renewal. He says, uh, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on the earth. And I, you know, as, as God works in our lives and grows our character, um, you know, they'll see our good deeds and praise our father in heaven. Jesus said, and some people, some people have suffered a ton and some people haven't suffered much at all. Mm -hmm. Like that's a character. Yeah. Can be a character changer big time. Uh, okay, uh, let's go to the next one. Why do you suppose that Luke so often notes that prominent women are converting? You know, I didn't have a lot on this, but Luke does seem to point it out. Um, my only guess is because the inclusion of women was culturally significant. It was a uh, patriarchal society that men dominated, um, both in uh, the Jewish culture and in the Greek culture. And the role and the rise to prominence of women was no small matter. I mean, Jesus upended that cultural reality and empowered women. It's one of the things I love about the chosen. Let me just plug that again here. The role of Mary Magdalene in the little mini series, The Chosen, is so beautiful. So beautiful. And um, anyway. Yeah, at the same time, <clears throat> it says that they were prominent already. So there were already women who were leading culturally. Lydia was a businesswoman. Mm-hmm. Prominent, you know, prominent women in the city were coming to faith. So um, I think sometimes um, that, in, that inclusion um, is, I think it's really intentional by Luke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I don't think it was, I think it's a way of saying this is a faith that's for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Luke was for, it was for the, the downcast jailer in the chapter before and all demographics, the, the slave girl in the chapter before and Cornelius in chapter 13 or nine. I mean, it's, it's all over the map. The people that they're interacting with over and over are this huge broad spectrum. God fearing uh, Greeks is a category that's made in acts. Prominent uh, women is a category that's made in acts. All these different categories, the gospel's penetrating all these different groups. I, I mentioned or groups is a wrong word. All these different types of people. Yeah, demographics. Yeah, demographics. Yeah. I mentioned over at Papa Greek that um, Lydia was the first European convert. Yeah. Oh, you know, it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's just a happenstance. And the, there's the the prominent women play a good and. <laughs> A bad role, right? They're raised up to chase uh, in the chapter before, right? They, uh, the the Jewish leaders incite the everybody that's prominent in the city right. mm-hmm. to put pressure on uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy to get them out of um, the area. So, anyway, maybe this is what you're saying. 
in a different way, but it's not just prominent women who are converting. Right. So there's plenty of women who weren't mm. prominent yes. who are also converting. Yeah. So mm. I think it's maybe just the, like you said, the all highlighting that the gospel is for anyone, yeah, whether right. you have means, whether you don't have means, whether you're right. accepted culturally, whether you're not accepted culturally. So I've never really noticed this point before. So I appreciate this person pointing it out. Yeah. Hey, we'd love to invite you out to be a part of the kickoff to the Lenten season of repentance. Lent is that 40-day period that leads up to Easter. It gets our hearts ready for Easter. It starts this Wednesday, 6 a.m., with a service here in our worship center. It's called the Ash Wednesday Service. If you grew up Protestant, you wonder why once a year folks have that dark smudge on their foreheads. Come on out. You can learn a little bit about it and hear about the important role that repentance plays in the life of a believer. All right, let's go to the next one. Uh, This is an interesting question here. Jason's suffering was a little scary. I love playing the host to missionaries, but don't often think about how this might be used against me. Do you think hosting places, hosting places us in the line of fire today? Can you give us a quick recap of who Jason is? Yeah, so Jason is in the Acts 17 narrative as the guy that Paul and Silas was staying at his house. And so when in Thessalonica, when the mob is stirred up and the riot is starting, they go to Jason's house looking for Paul and Silas. They're not there. And if I'm Jason, I'm thinking, well, guys, where are you? <laughs> Why me? But uh, Jason is dragged before the courts. He has to pay a bond <laughs> to purchase his freedom, basically. And he's let off the hook. He's fined, basically, for being a part of a bad scene in the town. And so I I think for me, and I just mentioned it kind of offhandedly, for me, it, it elevates the status of hospitality and the importance of hospitality. I heard this week that at Asbury, people in the community of Wilmore, the city, are opening their homes. I mean, tens of thousands of people have flocked to this little town in Kentucky, and people are opening their homes to welcome them in. And it just reminds me, you know, that um, hospitality, Hospitable is one of the requirements for being an elder, that we're welcoming people into our home. And I've shared before on the podcast, hospitality doesn't come easy for me. It's not a natural, it's not my prime, it's not a primary gift by any stretch. It's, it's something that I do out of discipline to open my home and invite people in. And, and I do think there is a price to pay and it's a way to minister the gospel uh, by opening your home. And I, I do think you know, Jason was living in a different time period, um, but uh, I do think there is a price to pay, and I do, I do think it puts you in the line of fire to minister to missionaries or to just simply open your home to a small group. I'm, I think of the, um, you know, Sherry and I have had folks in our living room before that, you know, were crying and processing deep wounds while our kids were in the back of the house or our kids are in the kitchen. It just, it's a lot to manage, a lot to manage, and I, I think that uh, it's an important gift. And I, it just struck me that Jason suffers here. He just he opens his home and he draws some fire. Yeah, I think it's interesting because it, um, he's uh, Paul and Silas are they're breaking the law. They're going against Caesar's decrees, is what the claim is. Yeah. So in, they were jailed previously without trial because of similar, like telling people you can't, like there is, Caesar's not the only king is the claim here. So mm-hmm. you have Jews 
angry citizens forming a mob together, claiming that these guys have broken the law, which perhaps they have. If they've declared that there's another king, only Caesar can be declared king in, the, in a Roman, this is the Roman colony in the right. foothills of and Jews were Philippi. given a Jews were given a pass under right. Roman rule, right? And these folks are essentially saying, "Hey, they these folks aren't a, of us." They were given a pass to worship quietly, right? 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 right. Um, so it's interesting. Contextualize it. This is not just like a missionary on furlough, good, good point. <laughs> who's come home and needs a, a a bed. This is somebody who's been like tearing it up in your town. Yeah. The marketplace has chased this man, mm-hmm. these men, mm-hmm. and they're hiding them. I'm trying to think. It's, it's what's, somebody, what's the modern it's equivalent? Like, it's like a missionary in Iraq or, or China. You live in yeah, Iraq. China. Exactly. Right. And you live right. there and you it's welcome a, them. Where the gospel them. is not received or, or welcomed. Or it's somebody that's just come here and gone to every public area you could gather and has been preaching, calling out sin. I mean, that's what they were doing. They were mm-hmm. calling out sin, which was a very upsetting to yeah. a polytheistic area and, and claiming that there's only one God and that you shouldn't be having temple prostitution and you shouldn't be doing this and you shouldn't be doing this and Caesar's not the only one. <laughs> and these guys are hanging out at your house. I mean, that's a real deal. Not, I'm not diminishing the things that you said about the, there's it's, a weight it, of hospitality. Yes, but, but it's not the same now. This yeah. guy is... I mean, that's a yeah. different level. That's of, filed um, under you're not hardcore unless you live hardcore. <laughs> you're right. But your point is is correct. I mean, like China, Iraq, Iran, uh, modern-day Syria, it's hard even to think Turkey. about an equivalent in this country. Right. It's, one of, the, it's sure. one of the things we don't fully relate to because of the freedom of religion, whether we think it's diminished or not in our right. country. I mean, the freedom of religion and it's something that we... Um, gives us a lot of protection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is why it's worth fighting for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't think of the, of the direct equivalent uh, from like a, from the law, from a legal standpoint here, but I could think of equivalents of being, you know, uh, excommunicated from the church by the company you keep, right. by the people you might be ministering to or hanging out with. I don't, and I don't yeah, mean officially right. excommunicated. I just <laughs> right. mean, you know, <laughs> right. like... Well, think of it... Th- uh, you lose friends is what you're saying. Yeah. Like and that. influence. You may and lose your community at church. The church may ask you to leave, like, yeah. you know, based on who you what, might be yeah. trying to. What if it was somebody that, that came and preached a message that was, that really fired people up here? That's never happened. Hmm. No, like, I mean, like, went after it. Like, how you're living, you know, went after people calling out their sin publicly right here in from the platform. And then you're the family that has that person for dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. No, they might not come knocking on your door, but there's definitely of, uh, they went, well, the Halpins are hosting him. (laughs) Right. I mean, there's a little bit of like, wow. Okay. Whose sides are we on here? You know? Yeah. Yeah, I think a different angle to this question or the thought is radical hospitality in DuPage County is could look different than maybe what we're seeing happening here with Jason hosting Paul. Yeah. Um, rad- radical hospitality locally could be having people in your home who think differently than you, mm-hmm. who vote differently than you, who go to a different faith mm-hmm. community than you, and you're saying, let's just have, like, I, you're welcome in my home. We can have a conversation. Let's get to you're know not, each other. You're yeah. not... 
there's, I'm sure there's a line somewhere, but it's not going to be, you're not going to know that line um, necessarily just by inviting someone into your house and getting to know them. Maybe mm-hmm. someone who's different than you. To me, that is a little bit what that's I heard. A good word. That's say. good. That's a you good just, word. You I flipped, flipped it. it. You I flipped, flipped it. it. Good job. That you know. <laughs> was good. Yeah. What would radical hospitality look like in your neighborhood? Yeah, I actually that's have good. a very concrete example, but yeah, I don't want to say it because I'm afraid. Am I out somebody? Yeah. I was going to say like hosting a politician who is it was on the, on the, the other I was going. Okay. Was who is like on the other mm-hmm. side of mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. that and having them over to get to know oh, yeah. him or her. And, right. Mm-hmm. right. Yeah. There's just a lot. We just make big sweeping judgments sometimes. I, I'll, I am one of them. So, you know, we can lay that down a little bit, give people some, the benefit of the doubt from time to time. Maybe yeah. go far, maybe go further than we think. All right. Let's, uh, let's move to the last one. How do you long for revival without trying to manipulate (laughs) outcomes? Honestly, I was afraid that church today would be an extended attempt to force people to respond. I'm glad to say I was wrong. (laughs) I I love what you said about this. I hope you say it again. This was so good. What did I say? About how there's it's going to be messy, oh, yeah, and that yeah. there's going to be people with the wrong motives who show up to revival. Matt but- and I were talking a little bit beforehand about this reality. Uh, if you're if you're in shepherding ministry, uh, where you call people together and you open God's word, and it could be a small group, it could be family devotions. So don't just think about pastoral ministry. Let's think about family devotions. You're leading family devotions. You know keenly that your kids are all at different places. Some are there for the right reasons. Some are there for the wrong reasons. Some are forced to be at family devotions that evening. And that's the reality on Sunday morning. Some are here for the right reasons. Some are here for the wrong reasons. Some don't want to be here. And, and so in revival at uh, Asbury, you've got the same thing going on. And it's, it's really a waste of energy and time for those leading, whether it's family devotions or small group or a platform ministry at your local church. It's a waste of time to figure out, oh, I think he's faking it or she's faking it or they're here for the right reasons. Or Instead, I, I have adopted the posture of, people ask me all the time, how was Sunday? And I say, I really loved it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I try to keep my focus on what the Lord's doing in, in my life mm-hmm. uh, and, and ask, you know, Sherry, how, how, how was worship for you? And did the Lord speak to you? So I, I think it's, we need to be really careful. It is messy, and it's impossible. It's virtually impossible to judge other people's motives, their hearts, to know what's going on. <laughs> I barely know what's going on in my own heart. Right. Well, and sometimes we want the... Um, I was talking with somebody about the there's good and bad to the fact that this the Asbury revival, let's just use that as an example, and I know not everybody's been following it, so... And I haven't honestly been following it that closely, but somebody was saying the good and the bad of of um, social media or yeah. like just news coverage. Plays a huge role. Yeah, right. It, positively it, and Positively negatively. and negatively. People are interacting with that in a way that we didn't really before. Yeah. Things that were more localized and that kind of thing. But what was interesting is, um, you know, people want all the benefit, all the cool things they're seeing. Without But the without mess. some of the discomfort and messy things <laughs> that are going on <laughs> with revival as well. point. So it's like, yeah, we want we want people to run forward and and do this. But like, I was t- talking with somebody about the Wheaton revival in 1995, 
where people were throwing pornography onto the platform. And wow. boxes of liquor. Boxes of cigarettes and like in liquor. Repentance or in <laughs> repentance? <laughs> Distract them. In repentance. They so were giving a, up their addictions. There was a addictions. call. Yeah. Usually, yeah. revival starts with a radical yes. confession of sin mm-hmm. at a depth that people are very uncomfortable. Yeah. They're shaken. Yeah. And that's what brings people to their knees, which then brings people to want to worship and then I believe that God answers yeah. that confession with a vibrancy in worship that heals that we can't, it's otherworldly, mm-hmm. right? And so the worship is part, you know, so people ask, well, what was going on? Well, it's like gross sin. Yeah. Gross sin. Stuff that's really uncomfortable to hear. I mean, yeah. I've, I, wasn't, to hear. I wasn't in Edmund Chapel when the 95 revival started, but I have heard multiple people share of what was gross mm. on the platform and trash cans that were brought out to fill because of the confession of sin that was from men and from women. In, and so anyway, I'm just saying that I there's, think you there's a, a great beautiful, beautiful, like we, we need revival every day in, in our hearts. That's ultimately what Christ mm. wants. The public gathering of revival is awesome. It, it should inspire us and encourage us. We should long for it to some degree. Realizing that it's the move of the Spirit with in certain times, in certain places, through certain people, um, but that there is a, there, are we ready for all of it? Like, we, we need to be calling it all. Like, we, we're ready for it all. Mm-hmm. We want gross confession of sin, life Because we want people to be free. Sin. Right. We know that brings freedom. Right. So but, I just jotted down some how to avoid manipulation, and these come from my own kind of experience as a pastor, because pastors can lapse into a desire to manipulate really easily. We want people to participate, and if we're not careful, our desire for them to participate becomes our effort to manipulate. So uh, my first kind of rule of thumb is share rather than tell. Share what the Lord's doing in your own life rather than telling others what should happen in their lives. Oh, that's really good. So an example is... Uh, we would share, the Lord is awakening me to his goodness rather than telling that church needs revival. Or God is convicting me of sin rather than saying America has lost its way. And they, sure, America's lost its way. But if we, if we put our emphasis on sharing what's going on in our lives, yep. then we don't lapse in to trying to move others. Because I, it's really, it's got to be the Holy Spirit that's going to move somebody. Yeah, Number two is love regardless of response. Man, if you're a pastor for any length of time, or you're a parent for any length, and parents are pastors, let's be honest, you're shepherding. You must, you come to this place where you, you know you have to love those you shepherd regardless of whether or not they ever follow Jesus. So deciding to love and serve others selflessly regardless of whether or not they're ever revived, whether or not they're ever converted is... Is, the, is how you avoid manipulation. Uh, finally, value secret disciplines over public displays. John makes a great point. There are dramatic public displays in revival. Confessions, singing, um, the preaching is often moving, um, prophecy, tongues. There was a, uh, apparently an exorcism, healings. In at, at the Asbury Revival, praise God for these dramatic displays of his move, or what appear to be his dramatic displays. But secret fasting and secret prayer is what Christ encourages. And 
the real mark of spiritual maturity and spiritual interest is who I am when no one's looking. And so if, if we want to avoid manipulation, we've got to turn our attention not to cultivating public displays, but private devotion. Good word. Yeah. All right. I think that's all the questions we have for you today. If you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text the next level podcast, 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that Scripture is a primary means for our getting to know Him. And our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, listeners, for tuning in to the next level. Prophecy.